It's hard to believe that this is the fourth Sunday of Advent, and it's even harder for me to believe that the next time we get together in six days, it's going to be our Christmas Eve service. The time, of course, is flying by. Um, And as always, Advent is this Latin word that means coming. It has to do with anticipation. It has to do with us preparing uh, to celebrate well and preparing to follow Jesus well. And so this Advent season, we've been doing a sermon series called Advent According to Luke, just been looking at Luke's gospel and, uh, and drawing on some of the themes that we're seeing there in those early uh, chapters of the gospel. In uh, week one, we looked at the, the theme of anticipation as Zechariah and Elizabeth are anticipating um, the, the coming of the Savior, the, the consolation, the rescue of Israel, and of course, they get more than they bargained for when an angel appears to Zechariah and tells him, you're going to have a son after all these years. You thought it was impossible, but I'm going to rescue uh, the world, and your son's going to pave the way. Um, week two, well, we had a dinner theater, so we didn't get to do our theme, but week three, last week, we looked at the theme of preparation. We skipped ahead to John the Baptist in Luke chapter three. This is after Jesus is born, and, and, uh, and, and John the Baptist is already a grown-up, and he's calling people to repentance. He's calling people as a voice in the wilderness saying, make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And John is getting us ready, and we saw that one of the ways that we can prepare is, is by you know, repenting of our sin and, and preparing and, and taking stock of our lives and saying, are the things that I'm about the things that, that Christ is about? Am I ready for him? And this evening, we're going to encounter an Advent theme in a story that takes place just days after Jesus is born. And the theme for tonight is presentation. Uh, presentation. In our text this evening, we're going to encounter three presentations of Jesus. And so if you're a note taker or you want some rubric to follow along, there it is. There's going to be three presentations of Jesus in the text tonight. And I'm going to give you one of them right now. The first presentation is Luke's presentation of Jesus. Luke is the guy who compiled the gospel of Luke, and he did it for a reason. In this particular text that I'm going to read tonight, he is presenting Jesus to us. And so as we go through it, um, Let's ask ourselves the questions, why has Luke shared this story with us? How is Jesus presented to us in this story? And how, if in any way, am I invited to respond to this presentation that Luke is giving me? How am I invited to respond to the Jesus presented in the story? If you're able, would you stand with me as we read the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, Verses 21 through 38. When eight days had passed, that's after Jesus was born, before his circumcision, his name was then called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days for their purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to that which was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout and looking for the consolation of Israel. 
and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, he took him into his arms and blessed him, and he said, Now, Lord, you are releasing me, your bondservant, to depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And his father and mother were amazed at these things which were being said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child appointed, is appointed for the, the fall and the rise of many in Israel, and for a sign to be opposed, and a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, in the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years and had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, serving night and day with fastings and prayers. And at that very moment, she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of him to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. Lord, thank you for this presentation of Jesus. Would you help us to unpack it together? Holy Spirit, would you reveal to us what it is you're saying through these words, what they mean for us, and what you're calling us to do in response? Bless you, Lord. Amen. You may be seated. You, you kind of, if you've been around a while, you kind of know I'm about a couple things here. I'm about Jesus, first and foremost. And as I love to preach the word of Jesus, I also love to teach the word of Jesus because I think there's a lot of things assumed in the text that we're just so far removed from that we don't get. So we're going to walk through the story and I'll, I'll highlight a few of the cool things in there that, that maybe are lost to us in translation, lost to us culturally. Uh, but I really want us to pay attention to those questions. Why is Luke presenting Jesus in this way? And you know, what is he calling us to do about it, if anything? So the episode begins uh, with a look at Mary and Joseph and the infant Jesus. And we're told right from the start that after the customary eight days, the infant was circumcised, or right before he was circumcised, he was given the name Jesus. And of course, that's no arbitrary name. It was the name told to Mary and Joseph by the angel Gabriel earlier on. Uh, Gabriel told them to name Jesus Jesus before Mary was even expecting a child. Luke is presenting us a version of Jesus, a picture of Jesus, who was born into a faithful Jewish family. He's there to get circumcised on the eighth day. And that means he's part of the covenant of God's people. On top of all that, his name is Jesus, which as you've heard before, means Yeshua saves. That is the Hebrew word. God, Yahweh, saves. That's what his name means. Already, Jesus is presented to us in these first few lines as good news, as the God who saves. And as the story continues, we learn that Mary and Joseph go back to the temple days later to do two things. 
First, they want to bring Jesus to the temple to present him before the Lord, as was the custom to do with the firstborn child in a, in a household. This presentation was kind of a form of de- de- uh, baby dedication, <laughs> a formal statement that this child was God's servant. Of course, little did Mary and Joseph know just how much of a servant Jesus would become uh, to God. Second, they go to the temple to be purified. This fulfills a law from Leviticus 12, which states that after giving birth to a male child, a mother would be unclean and unable to touch anything holy or to go into the temple uh, for 33 days, at which time she was supposed to come and offer the sacrifice. One of the pieces was a lamb, and the other piece was a pigeon or a turtle dove. What's interesting is that in verse 24, uh, we learn that she didn't bring a lamb and a pigeon or a turtle dove. Uh, She brought two turtle doves. That's because in Leviticus 12, there's an exception for people who are too poor to afford the lamb portion of the offering. And it's said in Leviticus 12 that you could bring two turtle doves instead. Let's pause for a moment right there. All the other gospel writers have their own way of presenting Jesus to us. And Luke is the only one that mentions this episode. Why does he tell us about Mary and Joseph bringing Jesus into the temple? Why does he tell us that Jesus was circumcised? Why does he tell us about Jesus being named Jesus? And why does he show us the poverty and piety of Mary and Joseph? I think what he's doing is presenting to us a foundation of who Jesus is. He's presenting us with a Savior who is divinely sent, he's the one spoken of by the angel, and divinely named, he's Yahweh saves, that's what Jesus means. And we're to see that Jesus is in the line of, not outside of the line of the Jewish people. He's circumcised, which means that he's set apart as a Jew who's part of the covenant people. He's part of God's big rescue plan. He's from a scripture-abiding family, And yet he's from a family of average or below means. He is the Savior then who is sent from God and yet is approachable to everyone. That's what Luke is presenting to us. Jesus is holy and safe. He's sent from God to save the world and he's someone you could go up to and have a conversation with. He's from the highest heaven and he can relate to an average person. So far, Luke's presentation of Jesus is is powerful. Now, in the narrative flow, Mary and Joseph are presented as humble and pious and poor, and they're also the parents of Jesus. Like, most of us who are parents know our kids about as well as anyone on earth. At least I think I do, right? It's change when they're teenagers. So they bring Jesus into the temple, these new parents with this special child, and they're going to present him to the Lord. They know their child. They know the things spoken about him by the angel and about people like Zacharias and Elizabeth who have things to say about him. And I imagine that they go into the temple believing, and rightfully so, that they know Jesus as well or better than anyone else. They're his parents. Or so they think. Several years ago, I attended my dad's retirement party after 30, I think it was 38 years, but 35 plus years of service 
with the Washington State Department of Fish and Wildlife. My whole family was there, Corey and, well, two of my three girls. Um, my sister's family, my brother, my mom, cousins. There's a lot of family there. And the event took place at a, at a small hotel conference center. It was put on by uh, my dad's colleagues and, and work associates. And it was primarily a work event, but the family was there to honor dad. And, you know, we kind of came in as VIPs, right? Because we know dad better than anyone else. We, I mean, he's our dad and, and husband and, you know, all these things. And so we sit down at the special table and we're here uh, to watch him be honored. And as the event went on, colleague after colleague went up to the podium and shared stories about my dad. Some were funny stories I hadn't heard before. Others were roasts on my dad's idiosyncrasies, which we all laughed at because we're like, oh, that's him. Um, Some were endearing and heartwarming. And all of them presented my dad as a man of integrity, of competency in his work, of wisdom, of generosity, and a strong work ethic. And I realized, though, throughout that evening that my dad had gone to work eight to ten hours a day, five days a week, for over 35 years. And if you were to ask me during those years, what does your dad do? I could tell you his basic job description, where his office was, what I thought he did day to day. I even knew some of it by by fact. But that's a lot of time away from me, away from family, where he was doing, where he had a life where There were stories I didn't know. There's stuff about my dad I had never heard of. And I left that time feeling like I had a bigger picture of my dad that was rounded out. And I realized that I had gone to that event kind of sharing my dad with these other people, presenting him. And in reality, all of his work colleagues presented my dad to me, showed me something, told me things that I didn't know about before. Mary and Joseph come to the temple to present Jesus to God, but they're surprised when Simeon and Anna present their son back to them. Before we look at their message, let's take a look at what we know about these two figures who only show up here in Luke's gospel. We know most about Simeon, because there's more words describing him. He was a layman. He was not a priest or described as a prophet, and he's from Israel. He's no one of particular significance except for the fact that the Lord decided to work in and through him. Simeon is described as righteous and devout, which means rightly related to people and rightly related to God. He was looking for something, and it specifically says he was looking for the consolation of Israel. Not like, I don't know what you think about giving a a warm and fuzzy hug. That's not the consolation that this is talking about. That that word translated uh, means he's looking forward to restoration of Israel under the reign of God. He's longing for God's reign to come, to see justice come, to see broken things set right. And even Simeon's name means God has heard. And later on, Mary and Joseph, when they started to have more kids, would name one of Jesus' brothers Simeon. The text says that the Holy Spirit was upon Simeon and that through the Spirit, he'd come to believe that he would not die until he met the Messiah, the Christ of God. In other words, what Luke is telling us is that Simeon is credible. Anna was a prophetess, a woman through whom God spoke, and she was a widow. Some scholars believe she was over 100 years old. She was at least in her 80s, and she was the daughter of Fanuel, 
the tribe of Asher, which means nothing. That's the point. In the Bible, nothing great comes out of Asher or the line of Phanuel. It wasn't Anna's bloodline or position that makes her stand out. It was the fact that she was an ordinary lady who was faithful. She's described as always being at the temple, serving night and day with fasting and prayers. She's the type of lady that today, if we met, we might say, she's a little off. She should have more balance in her life. She's a fanatic. But like Simeon, she wasn't just religious. She's actively waiting with service and prayer and fasting. Both Simeon and Anna are examples to us in the sense that they are not from great families. They are not formal priests. They're not important in the world, but they're committed to God and they wait on him with faith and with hope. In this story, the people who see what God is up to are the devout and the ordinary, Joseph and Mary and Simeon and Anna. They're not devout because God has shown them something and then they decided to respond with devout living. God has shown them something because they're devout, because they're seeking him. I wonder about myself this week as I'm studying for this, but I'll share with you. I wonder when we come to worship at church, Are we expecting God to move among us? Are we expecting to hear from Him? Or are we just kind of going through the motions, doing what we're supposed to do? This text challenges me and encourages me. It challenges me to come expectantly to have my heart and my mind set on Jesus. It challenges me to expect that God would work around me and the people around me and even in my own life. And it encourages me that God speaks to ordinary people, to men and to women, to young and to old. Now, let's turn our attention to what it is that God spoke through Simeon and Anna. We don't know exactly what God said to Anna, but from her reaction, we can deduce that he gave her some information and some affirmation that the child of Mary and Joseph, uh, was worthy not only of praise to God, but worthy of telling other people about. The text says that Anna continued to speak of him to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. Anna was given the gift of knowledge from God, and she presented that gift to Mary and Joseph. What a gift that must have been to them. Affirmation that someone they didn't know knew the special nature and mission of their child. Keep in mind that the temple courts are the size of 35 football fields. The chances of Anna even seeing this child are slim, but sure enough, God directed her to this encounter for such a moment. I have a similar story in my own background. It was a Christmas Eve service in California. I was giving my testimony about how Jesus had been transforming my life. I was still serving in the Coast Guard. Ministry wasn't really even on my radar. But I began to sense a call, an inkling, kind of an annoyance, really, that maybe there was something else in my life that God was calling me to. Anyway, there were a few of us sharing that night. I got up, gave my testimony. Then I was going to go sit down, walk down in a church about this size, actually, and my seat was like where... Tim and Stacy are, so I started walking down. The next person was getting up, and a lady 
gets up and grabs me about where Frank is sitting, grabs my arm. An elderly lady I'd never seen before and never seen after, and she says, looks me in the eye, and she goes, I believe the Lord is telling me you'll be preaching up there someday. To this day, I don't know if she was an angel or a simple visitor that was obedient to the word of God, but whatever it was, the Lord worked through her to encourage me and to affirm something deep inside me that I was kind of trying to, to suppress because I was afraid. Don't underestimate when God gives you a word for someone, what it can do, how, how it can encourage. I think that's what Anna was up to. Not some special halo moment. A woman who was being obedient and faithful to what God had directed her to do. Well, unlike Anna, Simeon has a little bit more to say. Simeon took Jesus in his arms. I don't know how this happened, like he's a stranger, so he just grabs the baby. I don't know. Uh, well, maybe we'll be privy to that someday. But anyway, he's a, he takes the baby in his arms, and Joseph doesn't punch him that we know of, and, uh, and he breaks out actually in a song. And the words that Simeon has here about Jesus are uh, put to music in a song called the Nunc Dimittis, which uh, are actually just the first two words in Latin of this passage. Uh, now you are releasing, or now you release. And Simeon sings to them in verse, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you've prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. There's two main presentations of Jesus here. First, we learn that he is salvation. You've heard this before, so it doesn't sound as weird as it should sound. (laughs) Think of it this way. When I say the word salvation, you probably have a picture, or I hope you do, imagination's important, a a picture of what that will look like. You know, for like Simeon and his peers, salvation probably looked like God's appointed king coming and beating up the Romans so Israel could have their land back. Or maybe for the poor, salvation looked like getting their share of the pie, And maybe when we think of salvation, we think of a feeling of peace or some kind of happy experience. But Simeon's song tells us something much different, earth-shattering, really, that salvation is a person, not just an idea. It's a person, not just a vision of a better life that we could have. Salvation, according to this passage, is Jesus. It's not whatever good thoughts we can come up with. Salvation is better than what we can imagine because it doesn't revolve around us. Salvation is God taking the initiative to restore broken relationship between us and Him, between us and each other, between us and the creation. I wonder if Simeon was shocked at the words that came out of his mouth, that his eyes had seen salvation and that it was a baby. I pray that we would be shocked afresh with that as Christmas approaches. Well, the second presentation of Jesus here is that he comes, salvation comes, not just for the Jews, but for the Gentiles, for the whole world. Stacy read earlier from Isaiah 49, one of many passages in the Hebrew scriptures that tell of God being for the world, for all the people, not just Israel that has his salvation is available to everyone who puts faith in Jesus. 
Well, Mary and Joseph are amazed at these words. Mary's song in chapter 1 anticipates her son being the savior of Israel, but this was something more, even more dynamic and far-reaching. Simeon blessed them, and they're amazed at this stuff, and then he turns, and just, I don't imagine the scene. How would you direct it if you were a filmmaker? Simeon turns and catches the eye of Mary. And I imagine in a dramatic moment, says, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed. And a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that the thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. You know, Mary had sung the Magnificat about about this future deliverer turning the kingdoms upside down and raising the poor and putting down the powerful. And she'd been told that she's a favored one and the chosen one and that her son was going to be something special. But this is where it gets gritty. You know, a surgeon tells you you've got this horrible disease, a growth. I can get it out. That's good news. How are you going to do that? <laughs> well, I'm going to cut you open and I'm going to get it out. There's, there's severing involved. There's pain involved in the process. There's no doubt that Jesus is full of love and light and grace and truth. And there's no doubt that when you put love and light and truth and genuine grace in the face of sin, corruption, addiction, and self-preservation, there's going to be conflict. Mary would have her own heart broken many times and her soul pierced at the foot of the cross because people who didn't like Jesus' goodness, how his truth made them feel, how his goodness made them, their imperfections highlighted. They did not like this, and they crucified him. And Mary would be there watching her son suffer on the cross. That would pierce a soul. When Jesus is in the room, when we encounter his word, when we're convicted by his spirit, we can either dig our heels in and deny him or we can surrender to what he's saying through repentance and forgiveness. It's the hardest thing in the world to do to admit that you're wrong and that you cannot save yourself. The only people good at doing this for a time being in their lives are kids. They're used to being told, no, this is how you do it. Go in time out and think about how you should do it. They're used to that kind of behavior. Nobody puts me in a time out. It's no wonder that Jesus said, if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, you must become like little children. It's not because children are so innocent. Anyone with kids knows this. It's because they're incompetent, because they need help. Luke has presented Jesus to us through the lens of Mary, Joseph, Simeon, and Anna. Jesus is Yahweh, saves. He is the light of the world, both to Jews and Gentiles, you and me. He is the story of Israel because he is the fulfillment, I'm sorry, he's the glory of Israel because he's the fulfillment of Israel's mission. 
He's the one sent from God, and he is the way and the truth and the life. His very life is offensive to everyone who wants to be self-sufficient, autonomous, and rebellious. That's us a lot of the time. And the text leads us to a question and to a charge. The question Luke is asking throughout this gospel, and the question presented before us on this fourth Sunday of Advent is, How will you respond to this presentation of Jesus, this one who is the Savior and the one who pierces souls because of his truth and his goodness and his way? Will we receive Jesus for who he's presented to be, our Savior and our King? Will we have the humility to say, Yeah, even if you've been following Jesus for a while, yeah, there's more there, Lord, for you to work on. I'm not right, and I need your help, and I'm opening myself up to you. That's the question to us. And the charge is this. For those who have received new life, like I know many of you have, The charge is for us now to be living, breathing presentations of the Lord. To walk in such obedience, such grace, such love, such truth, that when people encounter us, they encounter the way of Jesus. The challenge is to give voice for the reason And the hope that we have in Jesus, like Simeon, like Anna, let's be courageous to share with others not all the theological truths and be apologetics masters, but what has Jesus done in your life? What has he revealed to you? That's all you're called to share. You can't be expected to do much more unless you're called to be some kind of theologian or something like that. But how can you, in your place and your station and your sphere be a presentation of Jesus to the world. Let's consider those things together. Lord, thank you for your servant Luke, who faithfully researched, artfully crafted, and faithfully wrote this gospel presentation of you. Thank you that your word is living and active, that this isn't a history lesson, although history matters, that this isn't a theology lesson, even though theology matters. But our prayer is always that this coming to your word would be an encounter, that these questions wouldn't be simply rhetorical or academic, but that they would be life-changing. Would you help us? Holy Spirit, I pray for the gift of you pursuing The word that comes to mind is nagging. Would you nag me? Would you nag us in a holy way to continue to look at these questions and to ask them of ourselves? How can I respond in a deeper way, a more meaningful way? How can I surrender? Where do I need more humility to see what you're doing? And help us to receive the fact that 
you don't wait for us to be perfect before you send us out to present you to others. Help us to be open to talking about our struggles, to talking about our process that we're in. To say, maybe not all the victory stories, but also uh, the stories that we're in right now. Like, I'm trying to change because I think Jesus has a better way to live, and he's helping me. And it's hard, but I want to share with you, Lord, would you help us to be faithful with the message you've given us, faithful with your life that you've given us. Amen.